Right Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the Union Pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Well, hello once again, fellow JetBlue Alpha pilots and other podcast listeners. Welcome back to Ride Report. I'm your host, J.R. Hall. I know it's been quite a bit, maybe four, almost five months since we've had a chance to sit down and get a podcast recorded, but we're very, very, very excited to bring you an update to one of our more uh, popular episodes that we had just a few years back and sit down with our uh, PAN committee chair, new vice chair, hear a little bit about updates from the program and then uh, future actions, activities, and some changes within the entire arena of pilot mental health. Really just wanna look forward to 2024 and taking a look at the calendar, we're hoping to bring you a lot more content, not only from the safety world, but grievance, scheduling. And if you do have any ideas, topics, whatever it is that you think would benefit the JetBlue Pilot Group as a whole here on Ride Report, please don't hesitate to send us a PDR through b6alpa.org or on the Alpa app. Want to welcome back recently reconfirmed PAN Committee Chair Carrie Braun. Carrie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I, we just want to like hold you close because you're a JetBlue pilot and you're also the chair. But uh, you are also, uh, remind everybody else, your role within Alpa National as well in this arena. Yeah. So I've been the PAN chair at JetBlue since uh, 2017. I've been a pilot peer support, which is basically the PAN uh, version of Alpa I instructor since 2018. And I've been the chair, I believe it was 2019, I was confirmed as the chair of the pilot peer support committee at Alpa I. So lots of time doing this work and and, um, you know, have a have a wide breadth of knowledge of what's going on, not only at our own airline, but industry wide. Absolutely. And if anybody's had five minutes to sit down with you, they can understand quickly how passionate you are in the program and promoting the program as well, which is why we're so lucky to, to pin you down and have a chance to bounce some questions off you. And then sitting in the vice chair position, Tell the JetBlue pilots here real quick a little bit about yourself, your time at JetBlue, and how the PAN committee has has engaged you to the point that you wanted to, to sit in the seat that you are now. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Um, well, my name is Elijah Nicholas. I've been in uh, the Aviation 121 world since 2006, first with Atlantic Southeast Airlines, then ExpressJet, and uh, now JetBlue since uh, January of 2015. You know, mental health and personal health, uh, is a subject and a concept that's really, I hold dear to my heart and to my mind, you know, having a family and being away and trying to deal with other external issues and nutritional and internal issues is just something that I've always, uh, really cared about. And so, uh, during, uh, the pandemic, uh, I was actually one of the pilots to last upgrade and then get involuntarily displaced back to first officer and then re-upgraded again late in 21. During that time when I was uh, back on the right seat, I took a one-year course and became a functional medicine certified health coach. And uh, that's really helped me help others. And then Carrie reached out to me a few years back about being part of the Pilot Assistance Network here at JetBlue and the training and uh, you know what I've been exposed to has been really just uh, 
you know, life-changing in terms of our career and focus on uh, pilot mental health. Yeah, it's a huge program. And and for you know me and the rest of JetBlue Alpha Pilots, thank you for taking the opportunity to step up and, and work with Carrie to to ensure that you know no JetBlue Alpha pilot is is left behind in anything that that they could be struggling with you know in the past, currently, or or what they see come down the road in the future. To that, Carrie, I want to turn it around to you real quick. The last time we had a chance to sit down and talk was right about to 20, 2019, 2020. It's kind of like the pandemic time. And there were a, a few initiatives, and, and it felt like, you know, the, I think the biggest takeaway was that we are trying to let pilots know that it's okay to pick up the phone and talk, and please do it, and do so, and do it often. Has that mantra affected much change has it has it caused you know any shift in people feeling more comfortable to pick up the phone or is this still something that you see within the program is is maybe a little bit more of a still a a resistance if you will i won't say that there's a resistance to pan or pps um what i will say is there's still a lot of stigma a lot of fear a lot of uncertainty about what happens when you reach out to PPS or PAN or what happens when you reach out to a mental health provider. And there's a lot of misinformation. Our calls come in waves. We get a lot of calls for a week or two, and then we don't get a call for a week or two. And what that tells me is I need to do more marketing at JetBlue, that I need to get the word out that we're here, that we're a non-stigmatized, that we're a safe place, non-reporting place where you can come and get resources and get the help that you need or get access to the resources or the information that you need to live a healthier, happier life um, and deal with whatever those stressors are. You know, it's we're still, as far as ALPA programs go, in our infancy. And I think that we still need to break down a lot of those barriers and a lot of that misinformation. I love that you brought that up, Carrie. When it comes down to it, you know, uh, I think people are becoming more comfortable. They weren't necessarily too hesitant, but it's gotten to the point where I'm glad that now we have a forum or a means or a tool to actually utilize. And uh, that's something that I believe we didn't really have or had known uh, that we had uh, a long time ago. It's definitely changed in just the past few years alone in terms of accessibility. You bring up a great point in that, you know, a lot of people may have been hesitant to do it, but the other one, you know, like Carrie said, is safe space. I think we've all sat next to people and like kind of rolled our eyes, kind of poking fun at it. They just don't realize like you have to have that in order to be able to be vulnerable and to be able to talk. Like that's one of the most crucial pieces of creating an environment in which you feel confident enough to go and, you know, spill whatever is bothering you. That's probably still would you guys agree is still one of the biggest one of the biggest hindrances is people just feel like there's either a, a lack of time to do it or a lack of space to go do it. Not not just within, you know, being able to pick up the phone and talk to a pilot peer, but having the environment to do it as well. I feel like a question that I get a lot is when should I call Pam? And, you know, I've, I've given this, I give this the last podcast, so sorry for those that, you know, have heard my analogy before, but 
you know, when we're flying airplanes, the very first thing that we do when something is, isn't right in the flight deck, right? The very first sign of an indication, you turn to the person next to you and you say, hey, that's weird, right? So immediately at the first indication of a problem, you're expanding your team. And then what are you doing? You know, then you're ta- then if the warning or caution comes on, then you're doing ECAM if you're in the Airbus, QRH, you're probably letting ATC know, you're probably letting uh tech ops or maintenance know, you're probably letting the flight attendants know, you're constantly expanding your team to get the help and the tools that you need to answer this non-normal event. And when we have a non-normal event in our lives, typically as pilots, we wait till we get to that emergent situation to deal with it instead of turning to the person next to us, who in this case, I would consider pan to be and saying, Hey, this is weird going on for me. What, what do I need to do to, to, what can I do to handle this better? Um, How do I make it so that I don't end up in that emergent situation? And so I think there's still a lot of question about how early do I reach out? And our motto is talk early, talk often. Um, And I'll talk to you if the wings are on fire and the tail's fallen off, but I would rather talk to you at that first indication because mental health is a spectrum. It's a continuum. And we all slide back and forth from on that continuum on a daily basis. And if I can get a pilot where they're just starting to slip out of that healthy range, I can help them get back to that healthy range easier than if they've slid all the way into the ill category. I want to bring up probably one of the biggest catalysts that maybe most of us do realize, maybe some of us don't realize and, and, and just having a conversation about it, (laughs) will bring that awareness around it. But the other thing we should do is constantly reinforce, how can somebody get in touch with you and your committee within JetBlue Alpha Carry? So there's a couple of ways. Uh, we have a 309 number, 309 PPS Alpha, 309-777-2572, or via our ALPA app at JetBlue, you can go through the committee list and you can find our committee. And most of my committee members there have their personal phone numbers listed. I would say about 75% to 80% of the calls are through um, are through direct contact. So pilots reaching out one-on-one to a committee member, either because they want to talk to somebody they don't know, or they want to talk to somebody they do know, or they want to talk to somebody of the same gender or ethnicity or something like that um, so that they know who they're reaching out to. Uh, But the 309 number is always there. It's uh, staffed 24-7. And then also an exciting new thing that is coming down the pipe also on the ALPA app, and it's a great out button right now, but on our ALPA app right now, there's a PPS pan button um, that eventually will be a hot link for the phone number. And we're actually also looking into for our younger generations a fillable list of like hey i want a phone call please call me i will we're gonna say that number at least another two or three times during the podcast as well so i want to take it back to kind of like a catalyst event like we were saying and and most people maybe do realize and some people just don't but i think one of the biggest dynamic shift paradigm shifts coming through the last two three years of our industry is that what once was a crew mentality, not just in the airplane, but in the overnight has definitely shifted to an individual being replaced, not only throughout the crew in the airplane, but then going to the overnight as well. And it's really created this environment of loneliness, just like a a single individual. You're at the hotel by yourself. You're having multiple meals by yourself. You're sitting in the airplane by yourself. You're sitting at the airport by yourself. And this just continues 
to to be prevalent month after month after month and almost just unconsciously, right? It's just part of work. We don't really think about it until you turn around and take a look back and go, whoa, I think I feel like I've forgotten how, how to have a conversation with another pilot. <laughs> Quick, I need to do something. Yeah, so- oh, 100%. So what I'll say to that, and then I'll kick it over to Elijah, because he's got a pretty interesting study to talk about is, you know, one, just a personal story first, the last pilot I flew with, um, great guy, person I've flown with before, we have a great time. And the first words out of his mouth when he met me at the airplane were, I'm so glad it's you. I'll have somebody to go out with now and to talk to. Nobody wants to do that anymore. What the pandemic did to us was it taught us to isolate. And we got so used to isolating that we didn't come out of that for some of us, or some of us have a harder time coming out of that. And it's created what mental health providers are calling an epidemic of loneliness. And it's causing real issues with mental health moving forward, um, you know, in the, in the coming years. And Elijah, do you want to talk about your study? Thanks, Carrie. Um, so, you know, when we were younger in our 20s, we were still a little bit more developmental in terms of trying to find a social circles and what we were doing, you know, any hobbies and things to do and fill our time with. And as pilots, you know, we have that free time to actually explore and do other things. Once we started getting a little bit older, having families, you know, those things start to condense a little bit more. But what we're seeing right now post COVID is the fact that um, we used to have three locations. Let's, let's call it just for the sake of ease, uh, home, work, and a pub or a library recreational center or bowling or something else like that. But since post-COVID, those locations have actually come down quite a bit to even maybe just an individual could just be at home because they work from home, they're isolated at home, and they are no longer going out anymore because it's trickled down to the entire surroundings or that group of friends that they used to be part of. So we are finding that that outlet that we used to have, that third place to go relax and socialize has actually slowly been disappearing. And that's what we are encountering right now. And there's a lot of talk about it at the end here of 2023, as we move into 24, how can we actually change that and create more social gatherings again? And, uh, you know, we, we are an innate a creature to actually be out there and socialize. We we are inherently social beings. Um, it's all about cooperating to survive and thrive. And unfortunately, in the last few years, it's just really greatly accelerated in the opposite direction of what we uh, of uh, humans are uh, used to. It's a skill that atrophies, right? I think we we could all agree. And Elijah, to reinforce your point, like yes, humans at their basic nature are social creatures. It's why we live the way we do. It's why we do what we do. And, and it's, it's really, you know, quite honestly, in my opinion, like why we thrive in, in the environment that we do, because we are surrounded by people and we are working with, with multiple groups at the same time and doing so on just on a daily basis. What would be some of the things to, let's say somebody's just had this like, okay, I understand now like what the loneliness means. And yeah, you know what, it's kind of affecting me professionally is it affecting me personally? Is that is that something that you guys have, have seen maybe become a little bit more prevalent? It would be quite natural for it to manifest itself now personally within you know an individual's family or, or extended family or home life, right? 
Yeah. And that's actually part of an indication that you're not, that, that you're possibly not maybe clinically depressed, but having a depressed mood or having uh, not clinical, not clinical anxiety or a diagnosable condition, but that you're starting to have um, some, some anxiety is that you don't want to do the things that you used to love to do. You don't want to go out and be with the friends that you want to be with. Oftentimes what I tell pilots that are experiencing that is that, you know, to draw, to try to, maybe if you're used to hanging out with a group, maybe just call up one person from that group and ask them to dinner. And whether you, whether you want to get off the couch or not, once you get off the couch and you're actually there and you're having a good time with your friend, then that reinforces the, the positive aspect of it and gets you out of that, oh, I shouldn't do this. Oh, I don't want to do this. I should just watch Netflix or whatever it is, right? Um, excuse that we use for not socializing or for not isolating. And then reinforcing that good feeling of actually having that interaction can get you out of that depressed mood or anxiety mood. And then that would stop it from possibly becoming a clinical disorder or could possibly stop it from becoming a clinical disorder. Realizing that you are lonely is definitely one of the first indications like what Carrie was saying, but then doing something about it and acting on it and trying to, you know, get off your phone, get off that social media, um, stop being overstimulated by whatever news, depressing news or whatever it is, but trying to work on that self and come up with that hobby again that you enjoy or that can actually grab you and make you excited again. As long as you're able to pivot in that towards that direction, um, you're going to end up, you know, being okay. But if you can't, and if you're stuck in that loneliness uh, mindset, and you start to spiral, I mean, that's you know, that's where we have our our PPS three zero nine PPS Alpha for you to call and just talk to anyone. And for simple situations like that, we're here for you guys. I I, I mean, I can I can tell you that I can speak from personal experience that I've felt that loneliness feeling, you know, slowly matriculating itself throughout my entire life and, and was able to find something to, to turn that mood around and just change my thinking. And, you know, I, I heard it all the time from messages in school and everything else, but mindfulness and, and gratitude and it, it, it changed my entire outlook on not only what it was, which was honest to God stymied, but you guys are, is that something that also falls within your arena as well? Mindfulness and things of that nature. So we teach uh, in our initial, we teach a self-care lesson, which does include a discussion on mindfulness. Uh, In our recurrence, we teach a resiliency and a salutogenesis, which we won't get into salutogenesis here, but it's basically how to look at yourself from a place of wellness. And it used to be that there wasn't a whole lot of science about mindfulness and about gratitude practice and about, you know, how your brain chemistry works when it comes to positive thinking. And now there are those studies out there. And so what used to be sort of fringe hippy dippy science, we're now have legit scientific data that says, yes, having a gratitude practice, being mindful can actually rewire the way your brain works and help you become a more positive, happy person in the long run. Um, it's, it's not always easy to do, but it's, but they're simple things. They're not always easy things. Exactly. And and at the risk of sounding all woo woo, it, it, it literally did 
provide me an ability to park some of those negative thoughts and and be able to park them and then forget about them. And it was something that was brand new to me that that I had a complete, you know, abhorrent disposition towards until I got to learn more about it, put it into practice and then figure out how it tailor fit into into my life. And that was that's just one person, you know, self-reflecting because I just feel like I'm a little bit off. Um, but still very sociable, you know, requiring to be engaged, not only for the podcast, but for safety duties and just flying out on the line as well, trying to keep things up. You know, I could always feel that, that kind of uh, chain holding me back and was able to find a way to, to overcome that. Exactly. And, you know, and if, if you're a pilot considering calling PAN or PPS, our volunteers can help you through some of those processes to figure out how to incorporate some of that stuff into your life for sure. Can we transition to the topic of pilot mental health? And, oh, and yes. I know it's like, oh, oh, gee, JR, have we talked about this the whole darn time? Like, yeah, we have, but we won't go into any industry specifics. That's That's not what we're here to discuss here right now. But you know, there's there's reasons and and ideas of you know how those events came to be, but just within the arena of the pilot mental health and the pilot assistance network, pilot peer support from Alpa National Carry, there's been there's been a lot of changes. There are definitely some advancements that uh, you've had uh, a part in in discussion, but but that's the biggest point, right? Is generating the discussion of pilot mental health and how it dovetails into the FAA, into ICAO. Can you give us a lay of the land right now as how that is translating from the work that PPS does and how regulators are seeing it? Well, fine. Just ask me an easy question then. No. Um, There's a a big answer. It's a huge answer. Uh, You know, pilot peer support and PAN. PAN was around before the pilot ARC uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee on Pilot Fitness. Um, But but pilot peer support programs or PAN programs didn't really, weren't really broadcast, weren't really um, pushed forward before the German Wings accident and then subsequently the uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee in 2015. And ALPA's response to that was to launch the pilot peer support program ALPA-wide and to really start pushing all of these peer programs forward and making sure that pilots knew that they had a safe place to reach out. The FAA, although they work slower than I would like them to work, uh, have made a lot of changes. There are new mental health diagnoses that the AMEs can issue for. Uh, uh, They're trying to shorten the review time for those cases that that do need review. Um, They have taken, it used to be that if you were on an SSRI or antidepressant medication and flying, you had to have a neurocognitive exam every year, and those are timely and expensive. Um, they've out now taken that to you only need it when at your first application. So they are making strides to make it less onerous. If you see a therapist, it is reportable, but if you do not have a diagnosis, then an AME can and should issue you a medical. Um, there are some disqualifying diagnoses, but those are things like psychosis, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, nobody's going to get to the level of our career and have any of those disqualifying diagnoses. And the FAA says, you know, 80% 
of mental health uh, applications are approved at their first review. Um, so we need to understand that there's a lot of hope and it's not a career ender. Uh, we at JetBlue are lacking in our health insurance. Our, we only have two years and I'm on our negotiating committee like White on Rice trying to get them to move towards lifetime because we need it as far as the FAA is concerned. But recent events have brought to light pilot mental health again. And for the first time in history that I have seen, we're actually having the right conversation about pilots that are avoidant to seek health care of any kind, especially mental health help, out of fear of losing their medical. And the spotlight right now is being shined on the FAA that this is an issue, that we need to remove this barrier of fear and stigma to get pilots the help that they need. Again, that continuum, right? That we talk about if I can, if I can, if I can interject and get you help when you first start to go down a bad path, it's a lot easier to bring you back than if you wait to get help to the last minute. Um, so, you know, the, the NTSB just yesterday had a symposium on pilot mental health that they brought in industry stakeholders and some great conversations were had there. Uh, for the first time that I'm aware of, uh, uh, PPS or PAN um, is going to info share this year. Uh, we've been invited all over the world to talk about pilot mental health. And so I think we have a real opportunity here now to actually affect some change in the regulatory aspect of it. Uh, the, the FAA has announced the another aviation rulemaking committee on uh, pilot mental health and the stakeholders will, uh, the participants will be announced in January. And I believe the First deliverable is due in March, but I'm not 100% sure on that. We have a real opportunity here to, to make a splash and make a change and make it easier and less scary for pilots to get the help they need when they need it. We have never has the arena ever provided us a method to promote and try to get uh, the help that we may need. And it, you know, we say the word help, it might not be sitting on somebody's couch next to a notepad. It might be something that you could literally have a conversation about and, and find some self-help tips to do on an overnight or on a deadhead or driving to work back or forth train, whatever it may be. It's a pilot centric problem. And Carrie speaks from that, you know, helping the entire, you know, U S pilot group, as far as generating that awareness with, with PPS carry, every ALPA carrier, I think, as far as we know of within the U.S., has a, a pilot peer support program as well, correct? Like United, FedEx, Delta, Alaska? So it's it's similar to the other pilot assistance models, HIMS, ProStan, CARP, uh, Aeromedical. Uh, from a national or ALPA I perspective, we have the committee chair, which is me, PPS at Alpha I, but then each of the individual properties do have a chair. Um, and if they don't have a chair, what they have is the backup of our international, was national, but our Canadian uh, brothers and sisters have come on board now as well to PPS. Mm -hmm. And so we now have an international 
group of pilot volunteers that take calls from their own airline, but also if there's not an active volunteer, say like with the regionals with turnover, um, that even our regional pilots can still call the number, even if they don't have a volunteer on property, they can still talk to a trained pilot peer volunteer. So it's a safety net that, um, that each individual airline has, but that also is supported by a larger network at Alpha I. We're friends with Delta pilots and United pilots and Alaska pilots. We can all refer each other or listen to or promote, I think is the biggest overarching theme of what we're talking about. We can all promote those because if we're good friends with somebody and we really want to get them the assistance and they're at another carrier, there is something that they can go and use, correct? Yes, exactly. And most of the carriers use the 309 number. The Canadians use uh, the 188 number. That's an Alpa, uh, an Alpa I number. But uh, Pan, Path, and Source, so FedEx, United, and Delta each have their individual numbers um, that are uh, that are prospective to their own properties. However. If you do call the 309 number, if you are a Delta FedEx or United pilot, you will get routed to the appropriate phone tree. Carrie, one last question for you. I know that you just made a mention that the first deliverable uh, could be sometime within the first or second quarter of, of 2024. And I would have to reasonably imagine that there not only is a heightened awareness around it for certain events that have occurred recently, sure, but within the the regulatory world, there there has to be an appetite for them to be able to attack something that that quickly. Am I kind of reading the tea leaves correctly in that regard? Exactly. Everybody sees the issue now. Everybody understands that it's that it's the barriers and the fear that are stopping pilots from getting help. The FAA very, very, very much supports PPS and PAN. They have been at every training we have asked them to come to. They talk to our volunteers. They explain the process, although onerous, and hopefully that will be changing. They really see it now as a um, as a team effort, right? The, the FAA needs to be involved. PPS needs to be involved. PAN needs to be involved. And quite frankly, our, our uh, carriers need to be involved so that our pilots have that safety net of support, both financially and in their interpersonal lives to be able to reach out to PPS PAN or to reach out to a mental health provider should they need one um, and not have that fear around it. And the first and the first sort of way to get pilots to understand that and to reduce that stigma is to get them calling PPS PAN to talk about these things, to talk about the process, to talk about how it's not, it shouldn't be scary. It should be something that you want to do. A lot of pilots suffer in silence for so long. And then once they do get the help, they're like, I don't know why I suffered for so long. Well, they suffered for so long because they had so much fear about, about the process and there doesn't need to be that much fear. And I think that'll dovetail, Elijah. I, I want to bring up one last opportunity to not only plug the phone number as well and how to get in touch, but tell us how how can we break down, which is another big theme, these these barriers to getting your phone in your hand and dialing the number. It's definitely one of the hardest things. You know, one of the last individuals I spoke to at the end of the phone call is like, I don't know why I didn't call you sooner. Because this was the best thing I could have done. He was, and those barriers are, you know, I asked him, so, you know, what were you feeling? And 
you have that stigma of embarrassment, right? You're, you're not sure what's going on. Um, you're embarrassed that you may be feeling something that no one else is. And, or you may have just problems recognizing the symptom about what's going on. And as pilots, we always are, we have been known to be self-reliant. We study on our own. We try to be our best when we show up for our training sessions. And that's all on our own. It's a lot of preference for self-reliance. And sometimes we can't combat this mental um, health or stresses by ourselves. So, you know, once you are able to know or uh, that, you know, you could confidently trust someone by just calling 309-PPS-ALPA and you will get a peer who can support you in the manner that you may be looking for. And it's just a, it's just a conversation, someone to talk to. And sometimes that's all we need. And, you know, it's all about getting that social support and encouragement from others. And we're here for that. And it's awesome when I hear, you know, and get a call from someone else who said that he knew someone who called this number and got the help that he needed or the direction that he needed um, to, you know, take the next step and do whatever he needs. You know, dialing that number and just picking up the phone and just pretend we're, you're, we're one of your friends. We really are. We are the same kind of pilot, no matter if we're flying a 190, um, a regional jet, or even a 320, you know, throughout the entire industry. We all have the same kind of battles, similar or different, but to a degree that we can help each other or direct someone or any of us to the resources that uh, want to get us better. We're all here aiming and striving for the same goal. Rowing in the same direction and also understanding that not just, you know, it's appropriate for us to be talking about this here, you know, in the holiday season, but the holiday season is probably one of the more dramatic um, and, and rather effective triggers to putting somebody into this, you know, perpetually negative state. Well, and the one thing that I will add is while while we all think as pilots we're exceptional and we're the uh, you know we're the exception to the rule, we're capable, we're we're strong, we're you know all these things, right? I am the captain. I I'm in control of everything. Um, mental health is a real issue. One in four people every year will have a clinically diagnosable depressive episode. That doesn't mean that they'll be depressed for their entire life. Depression can be like the flu. Uh, it can come and go. And so understanding that one in four pilots may be struggling with a mental health issue within the year. And also 50% of the U.S. population it is estimated will have a clinically diagnosable mental health condition within their lifetime. So it is common, it is normal, and it's something that we need to start talking about as a pilot group of how we're going to keep each other well, supported, and safe. This is a safety issue. And we couldn't agree more. And the both of you are always welcome back to Ride Report whenever you have anything to brief out or you just want to update the pilot group on the you know ongoing work of the Pilot Assistance Network Committee here at JetBlue Alpa. First Officer Kerry Braun, Chairman of the JetBlue Alpa PAN, and Captain Elijah Nicholas as the Vice Chair for PAN. Guys, thank you so much for not only taking some time out of your holiday schedule, <laughs> To, uh, to come sit down and talk to us, but for you know, just the continuing efforts to promote the pilot mental health and, and 
fighting to break down these barriers to get somebody that needs just a little bit more assistance the assistance that they need. It means a lot. Thanks. It was great being here. I'm excited that we get to do this again. No, thanks a lot for having us, JR. Uh, definitely appreciate this opportunity. And, uh, you know, everyone, anyone listening out there, feel free to reach out. Once again, it's 309-PPS-ALPA. 309-777-2572. Fantastic. And to you, our JetBlue Alpha pilots, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and listening to our latest episode here on Ride Report. We look forward to talking to you again in a future episode. Thanks again, guys. Thanks. Bye. Ride, Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpa for the union pilots of JetBlue.